Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Well, good morning. You're the smart crowd. You got the extra hour sleep, didn't you? Yeah. Thanks for being here today. You know, the church has a, a battle that it has to constantly fight, and that is this one, that we don't just always think about us, but it's about the world. It's about people outside of these walls that need to hear about Jesus Christ. It's called missions. It's our willingness and our desire to want to go and to touch people and to help people, not only next door as we do with the school, but around the world. And so this today is our Mission Sunday, and I've invited a friend of mine who I have known for over 50 years. He's really old. To come and to share with us, been many, many years in Thailand, and he's going to come and share with us the burden of missions today. So would you welcome Terry Waisner as he comes to minister to us this morning. He's really old, but he uh, managed to get a service here anyway. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn, and I think they're going to put a screen for you, but it's the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and verse 21. Uh, we're going to pray. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing for us in our lives here, and we thank you that you brought us to a place where we came to know you as our personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for the purity and the truth and the strength and the power of your word, which allows us to permeate the environment of this world and to teach them and help them understand the great love that you have for them. So speak to our hearts today about how we can extend the borders of our influence to other parts that need to hear that Jesus Christ is the one who died for them. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, here's what it says. Well, let me, before I read, let's get the elephant out of the room. Because I know some of you saw me when I was out in the foyer before the service, and now you're seeing me up here. What's with that shirt you're wearing, mister? You know? Well, actually, this shirt is the dress garment for the tribal leaders in northern Thailand. And because uh, Debbie and I started that work among these people, uh, whenever I was having conferences with them and stuff, they go, hey, would you mind just wearing a shirt like we do? So they gave me a couple of shirts like this. So I thought I'd wear it today. I hope you're not offended by it. But uh, I didn't get it at the local thrift shop when I got in town. So just wanted you to know that, okay? Let's read together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the gospel, or preaching of the cross, is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Can you say Amen. Verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, unlike some of you, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. In fact, it was the furthest thing from a Christian home. I had never seen a Bible. I never knew anything about, you know, the Lord and any. I heard Jesus's name in a sentence, only in a profane manner. I had, like I said, never read the Bible. But I did have the good fortune in Phoenix, Arizona, of being in a chemistry class with an upper class when a girl named Teresa, who had a brand new 1965 Ford Fairlane 500. 
and it was 104 degrees and I'm walking home from Maryville High School when she pulls up beside me and says, hey, would you like a ride? Now, I know there's not much hair covering in this cranium, so you probably figure most of my brains are cooked, but the truth of the matter is, then I did have hair, and I had a particularly moment of clarity right then, you know? It didn't take much cerebral action to know, here's an upperclassman, very good looking, brand new shiny car, hot day, I made the quick on-the-spot decision to get in the car. She drove me to the place where I lived. I got started to get out and she said, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? Hey, Teresa, I'm in no hurry. I mean, I'm hoping the neighbors are looking, you know what I mean? And uh, so uh, I said, sure, ask your question. She asked me a question that drove a stake right through my heart. She said, are you a Christian? And I just thought, well, of course, you know, I live in America, that we're a Christian nation. So yeah, I'm a Christian. That's what I'm thinking. So I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, well, do you know what a Christian is? And so I let her tell me. First time I ever heard that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. The first time I ever knew that the Bible was God's revelation to us about how he wants us to live and how he cares and he loves us. It didn't take long before she started inviting me to her church. You know, back in 1965, I'm going to shock a few of you young folks today. Back in 1965, when you went to the Assemblies of God Church, it wasn't real quiet and sedate. It wasn't like real reposed. I mean... There was a little lady in the congregation, her name was Sister Moore. Uh, I thought, sure, I can go to church. You, know, you stand up when everybody stands up, you sit down when everybody sits down. You, when they say amen, it's all over and you walk out the door. I had the textbook on it, I thought. Well, what I wasn't counting on was Sister Moore. Little lady about this tall, you know, had her gray hair all pulled back and a nice little Pentecostal bun on the back of her head there, you know. and. Uh, Somewhere in the course of the service, and it was appropriate, I could tell that, but it just wasn't what I was expecting. She gave a message in, in other tongues, and then she did a paint-peeling uh, interpretation of what she had said. I shook for three hours after that service. Scared the living daylights out of me. I go, those people are crazy. I'm never going back there again. But Teresa had the gall to ask me to come back. I couldn't say, Teresa, you're nuts, and so is everybody else at your church. I'm not going back there. I went back. The second time, again, Sister Moore was just getting warmed up, friends, let me tell you. Again, another experience of absolute shattering me. But the one thing that I found in that church was love. Came from a broken home. My father was a drug dealer and a fighter and a womanizer and, and uh, drunk all the time. We lived a poverty existence because all the money was spent. I never felt loved in my entire life till the people at First Assembly showed me what love was really all about. So they won me over, folks, and I've been one of them forever since, you know? So, so when I talk about preaching, I'm not necessarily saying you have to stand in a pulpit to get it done. I have called Teresa many times, say, Teresa, the thousands of souls that have come to Jesus Christ, every one of them, are tied to you because you had the courage to say to me, are you a Christian? You know, uh, I went to Central Bible College where your pastor went and where Pastor Blake went and Kirk, are you out there somewhere? Are you somewhere? Oh yeah, there he is right there. How could I miss a handsome man like that? Actually, Pastor Blake's father, Kirk Hansen, me and Pastor Goss all played on the basketball team at CBC. I was the oldest of the bunch. so. 
my senior year was your freshman year, and, and he, I was a junior when he came to play basketball. And so we have a, sh a shared heritage of uh, having gone through ministerial school together. And uh, that was a great moment for me because I met my pretty little bride of now uh, 50 years and six months and two weeks and one day sitting right there. So... After we left Bible school, by the way, Deb was caught, Deb's dad was a pastor in Michigan. He was bivocational. And uh, so, you know, she comes from a rich heritage of that. Debbie was, was saved really early. She was called to be a missionary when she was six years old. So, you know, when I met her and we fell in love, I'd already had a missionary call. I served uh, during Vietnam War and uh, came to school kind of a little later than most of the freshmen there. But I will tell you, God gave me a treasure when he gave me Deb. And, uh, you know, the fact that she had a missionary call and the fact that I had grown up with a youth pastor who was a missionary in Latin America, I mean, I could, guess I should have known it was going to happen to me. I felt called to be a missionary and just never looked back. I know when I left Bible school, I went down to Columbus, Georgia, home of Fort Benning and the Special Forces and Ranger Training School there, 75th Ranger Regiments there. Uh, you know, there was a man that I met there and he wasn't a Christian and he said to me, Terry, you know, you're going to be a missionary. You're going to waste your life. When he found out I was going to Thailand, he really couldn't take it. He goes, man, that's Buddhist. They've been Buddhist for centuries. They're never going to want to listen to what you have to say. You know, I just persevered on through that. And, you know, when I finished uh, all the training that was necessary, and then we got our appointment and we went to Thailand and started our missionary career, um, you know, I didn't think that, that what he said was true and I believed it wasn't true and God began to open doors. You know, we ask every missionary that comes to Thailand because the language is very difficult. We actually have one more tone than Mandarin Chinese has in our Thai language. And so we ask every missionary to dedicate the first two years totally to doing nothing more than learning the Thai language. You're not supposed to be involved in anything else. Give yourself fully to that. Well, seven months into my language, training and you know it's getting up early in the morning we get up at 4 30 every morning i'm at language school throughout the day i come back home and 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 i've got more studies to do when i get back from there and you know just throwing yourself at it for seven months and then the big boss showed up he said hey i got a critical need we got a ministry that's going without leadership there's eight full-time thai workers in that there's no budget you're taking over the budget he he talked to me on friday night and never said a word about this Saturday morning in front of everybody else at a missionary conference, he announces I'm the new director of ICI. Now, ICI is a literature ministry and it, it prints up uh, translated portions of the scripture that are Bible training lessons and evangelistic in, in nature. And I'm supposed to head this whole thing up. You know, they told me that the office had kind of run, gone through some hard times and they said, you know, we don't know, just do what you can there. Listen, I believe God can do anything, amen? in a place where they said we really didn't expect much to happen. We were supposed to just try to kind of struggle along. I threw myself at it, started taking a, a, a tutor at night. Deb was there to help me to pick up the slack. And in the first year where they said we couldn't do nothing, in a country that's 95% Buddhist, 4% Islamic, less than one half of 1% is evangelically Christianized. In that first year alone, we enrolled 87,000 Thai people in our Bible study courses. We received back 
more than 5,000 letters of individual testimony from people that said, hey, we read that material. We received Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. You know, uh, I thought that's what I was going to be doing for my career because it was going so well. And then suddenly a guy who had been doing crusade ministry there uh, was a, a, a veteran missionary. A new assignment came along. He left and I took over the crusade ministry as well. Now, we were doing open air crusades. There were only two people doing open air crusades in all of Thailand. There was an independent uh, charismatic fella and he was doing it. And then I was doing it with the crusade team that we had there in the missionary body. And so uh, I am, I'm supposed to be headed to a crusade up in the Northeast, up there towards the Laotian border. So I jumped on a train, said goodbye to Deb and the kids, jumped on a train, rode all night till 6.30 the next morning. Uh, on this train, there was a guy there that had one of those little bicycle rickshaw things. And I threw my bag up there, got on that thing, went all the way across town up there, up near the uh, Vientiane and the Mekong River. And, and I jumped out of that thing, got in an old bus that was beat up, in air conditioned, dirty and filthy. Uh, it was the kind of those kind of things where the bus just keeps on rolling. You jump on kind of as you're, as you're making your way. And when you get to the destination, you wave your hand and a guy on top throws your suitcase out on the ground and you jump off while it's kind of gliding to never gets to a stop, but you just safely get off if you can. And uh, somebody picked me up, hustled me up there. And I get to the crusade site. I think, man, this is going to be fantastic. You know, I'm going to get to stay in this uh, hotel overnight while we're doing the crusade for these nights. And, uh, you know, if you want to know how nice it was, when they gave me the bill at the end of my stay, it included a breakfast uh, that was uh, stir-fried rice every morning. The bill cost $5.46. So, you know, it was really lavish uh, accommodations there, you know. I went out to the crusade site and the crusade manager was there and he said, I think we need to have a discussion. I go, is there something wrong? He goes, well, everything's great with the crusade process here. We're looking forward to a great meeting tonight, but there's a little issue that's come up. He said, I've just been informed that the other guy who's holding crusades down in the Southeast region, now I'm all the way up in the North. He's down in the Southeast region. They just closed him down this past week. He's never going to do another crusade in Thailand. I said, what happened? They go, well, he preached and they didn't like what he said. They sent some government in just to listen to what he had to say. When it was over, they made the decision, he's done. Never going to have crusades again. He said, the bad news is they're here tonight. They're going to listen to everything you say. When it's over, they're going to make up their mind whether we're going to have a crusade or not going forward. I went back to the hotel room and the devil jumped up on my shoulder and he started screaming in my ear. Buddy, you better do something quick. You better come up with some other plan for tonight. I mean, how can you soften this message so it'll glide right past them? You don't want to be the guy who uh, was known as the guy who shut down crusades in Thailand. So I'm laying there and I'm thinking about it. Then suddenly a, a revelation came to me. The Holy Ghost jumped up and said, yeah, you could do that. But you'd be preaching such a watered down milk toast message that nobody could get saved anyway. So why don't you just go ahead and preach what you're supposed to preach? Well, you know, when God speaks, better listen. Amen. So I got out there that night and I said, hey, it might be the last night of crusades, but I'm going to make it a good one, honey. I got up there, started preaching. I let them have all the fire I had in me. And, uh, you know, when it was over, gave the invitation. There were 103 people came forward to be saved. We put them over in this building and, and I looked and here's all the four government men standing around. Very obvious who they were because of their outfits. And I thought, you know what? 
This might be the last night, but let's make it a good one. We dealt with those people, led them to find Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I was too busy with too many things to take note of everything that was going on. So came back the second night. Nobody ever accosted me or anything. I thought, hey, well, let's go for it again. But second night, come back and preach, man. The crowd came forward again. More people wanting to be saved. And I noticed when I came into where they were to deal with them individually about, okay, you've made this decision. Now here's what we're going to do. And, and right on the very front row, sat one of those government men. The other guy's back in the corner right over here. Before I could even get started, he goes, hey, do you know who I am? And of course I had to kind of acknowledge, well, yes, sir, I think I do. He said, well, let me just tell you something. His voice was maybe a little gruffer than I was hoping for. And he said, I came here last night and I listened to everything you got to say. And I go, here it comes, you know. He said, I want you to know something. I hurt my shoulder and the doctor can't seem to figure out what's going on. And I've been taking all the medicine stuff. It's not getting any better. But last night I came and I listened to what you said and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I'm just wondering, would you be willing to pray for me? Hey man, they had to tie a rope to me to keep me going through the ceiling, man. I was so excited about what's happening there. And, and I said, you bet, man, we prayed for that guy. I unleashed on, on, on Hades itself that night. And you know, that man found Jesus Christ in a second night of experience with the Lord. And you know, we never did close down crusade ministry in Thailand. I guess God just decided you gotta have some crusades more, you know? That, that led to other adventures in crusade ministry. And you know, one of them was that we had never had a crusade in Bangkok in our entire existence. We just felt like the city's too busy. There's millions of people and the, there's just so much going on. Nobody's going to pay attention to what we have to say. And so, you know, we just had never even ventured into trying it. We always went to the outer portions of the country. And so we finally decided, let's just try and see what happens. Well, we had identified that there was a place there in the city where there was a bunch of, well, there were many slum areas. In fact, to tell you the truth, and this is the facts that were given to me by a government official, there were 120 individual slum locations in the city alone. We had this one targeted and said, hey, you know what? It's got an empty lot here, kind of a gravelly area. There's some other buildings around it. It's right off a main corridor. You know, I mean, it's, it's back from the street, but, but at least there's access to it from this main road. And we, we had found out that there was a slum in there and the children were going hungry. They had nothing to eat. We started a feeding program there and, and that led us to think, let's just try and use this, see if we can get access to this piece of property to use it and have a crusade. We, we applied and you know, in God's providence, they gave us the approval. And so we decided to have a crusade in Bangkok for the first time. That very first night, I mean, we're all set up. The band starts to play, the singers are singing. And then it's time for the preaching message. After the preaching invitation, there were 108 people that came forward that first night to receive Jesus Christ. We took them over to the side because there was no building for us to use. We had a big tent set up there where they could come in and we could do the follow-up and give them the literature and, and, and walk them through the process of, of giving your life to Jesus Christ. And so we're doing all that. And, and some of the workers came to me and said, hey, we've got a man here. He, he doesn't speak Thai. He's not even from Thailand, but he, he wants to talk to you. And, and, and maybe you can understand what he's saying because we can't. And he's got a little bit of English. It's kind of broken, but but he certainly doesn't speak Thai, so maybe you could help him. They brought the guy up to me, he's from Burma. Now I know that the official name was changed a long time ago, you know, maybe 20 years ago, and, and they call it now Myanmar. 
But for me, it's always been Burma. From the time Debbie and I got Bibles in there and went in and started helping the Bible school prosper and helped them get a, you know, a big jump on what was going on. I mean, I've always known it as Burma, so you forgive me if I'm old school and just say Burma, okay? This guy was from Burma. He said, and I know most of you may know what has happened in Burma for, for well, 1966, a military junta took over leadership of the country and for, except for a really brief window in about the last six years, they have been in charge ever since. And it's brutal existence. I mean, I was there shortly after they shot a whole bunch of people. I had to kind of come in surreptitiously in order to get stuff into the church itself. It was almost underground and it was a, you know, kind of a scary moment, but the truth of the matter is that they needed desperate help and we wanted to do something to further the kingdom of God there. And so uh, I identified that, that, that the Bible school was a thriving place and we wanted to do something to enhance that. And so I knew what was going on and it was a difficult environment, but I thought it's still worth it. And so, you know, this man was telling me his story. He said, listen, it's treacherous over there. It's, it's unbelievable. It, it's deplorable. He said, I decided worth that life is just not worth the living anymore. And so I'm fleeing the country. He said, I brought all the money I could get my hands on. I came over here to Bangkok because we've heard that you guys are a party town here. And, and I knew that there'd be alcohol available to me. There'd be drugs that would be flowing that I could get my hands on. It's well known for its prostitution industry. And he said, I came over here to do nothing but just drink and take drugs and be with prostitutes until I kill myself. I'm going to end it. I'll never go back there. I just don't want to face it. He said, for the last three days, I've been up there and he pointed to a building way, way out there on the periphery of the area that we were in. He said, right up there. And he's pointing to one of the top rooms in this building. He said, I was up there for three days doing nothing but trying to kill myself with drugs and, and, and drinking. He said, tonight, I don't know what happened. I kept hearing that noise down there. I didn't understand what was being said, but you know, I don't speak Thai, but he said, I, I, something told me that I needed to come over here. Now, I don't know about you, but I like something. Something got me saved when Teresa told me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something intervened in my life when I needed it the most. Something found you when you were on a wayward road away from the Lord. Amen? He said something. Here's a guy who'd never been to Bible school. Here's a guy who'd never even heard the name Jesus Christ. Here's a man who didn't have any spiritual bearing at all in his life. And yet something told him, you know? Hey, listen, I don't go out there and preach because I'm good. I don't go out there and preach because I'm sna snappy dresser, you know? I mean, the truth of the matter is, I go out there because something's going with me, honey, you know? I wouldn't want to preach if the Holy Spirit wasn't in it, man. You know, thank God for something, amen? He said, something told me I needed to come over here and find out what all this is about. We led that man to the, to the Lord. He said, let me tell you something. On the spot, he's, he's witnessing this to me. I mean, I'm about to jump out on my skin with excitement, and today I'm kind of reposed, but then I was excited. And he, he said, you know, so, I, I've got to go back to Burma. I, I don't want to kill myself anymore. I'm going to go back there. All those people that are living and suffering and, and are, are being uh, disadvantaged, he says, I've got to go back and tell them there is a better life in Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm going back tomorrow to Burma. 
There were a lot of opportunities that unfolded for Debbie and I in ministry. And, you know, I mean, the international church had a pastor. Uh, something came up and he had to leave. And so the church, I had filled in to preach a couple of times there. And the church board said to me, Terry, would you be willing to step away from the Thai church there on a Sunday morning and come and preach for us until we can find a pastor? I said, yeah, I'll be happy to help you. I committed to a three-month stint, you know, to kind of get them past that and get somebody. Let me tell you something. There's some lessons you can learn in life, and one of them is this. There's nothing quite as permanent as a temporary job. Two and a half years later, I'm still pastoring the church. In fact, things have gotten even, even more expanded than that. I mean, uh, I heard that, well, you know, I'm sitting in my office there in the literature ministry office and the phone rings one morning. It's probably the favorite phone call of my entire life in Thailand. Because the voice on the other end was a man that I met when we started that feeding program for that slum kids there in Bangkok. He's on the other end because he's married to a woman who lived up in the northern western part of Thailand, up in the area known as the Golden Triangle, infamous for drug trafficking and human trafficking. He says to me, Terry, would you be interested in going to preach to a tribal village where nobody's ever been to preach the gospel before? Now, if you hang a pork chop around a bulldog's neck, do you expect to see saliva? That's exactly what happened in that moment. I mean, I couldn't get it out of my mouth quick enough. You bet I would, man. I jumped up, saddled up. I even took Deb on that first trip. And I mean, let me tell you something. You don't access this, access this place by just, uh, you know, a, a, a nice limousine, you know. I mean, we went all the way as far as we could go, had to get in a four-wheel drive truck. And I can tell you, six months out of the year, you're still not getting to that village. There are no roads going in there. Remember when all those kids were caught in that cave and they were going to die because they, that, that soccer team up there in Thailand, they'd gone in there and the floods came, an unexpected heavy rain came and trapped them in there. Anybody remember that? That you don't get the news down here? You know, okay, all right. Okay, uh, I remember... Two weeks before the rescue, I'm sitting at the, at the table in the house of this Thai pastor that, that called me and said this, and, and we're praying, hey, Lord, you know, we need a miracle. And I'm telling you, I was believing for the very best, and I, I, my faith wasn't as big as it needed to be. I thought we might get some of them out if we're really lucky. There was only one in that whole group that was a Christian, and he happened to be a guy that we knew, a kid that we knew, and, and uh, when that great British... A diver from Great Britain popped up and his headlamp came on the face of someone. He was just popping up to wreck an order. You guys know this story, right? And his headlamp comes right on the face of that kid who could speak to him in broken English. It was a miracle, man. I mean, that even one got out, let alone all 13, the coach and the 12 players. I mean, it made history. They made movies about it and everything. Well, the village I'm talking about is in that same mountain range right there and only a few kilometers from that exact site. It's really remote. So we get up there and nobody's ever been there before. Nothing but thatch roof huts. And you know, the only cash crop that there is in that area is, is the opium poppies that they, they kind of slash and burn the side of the mountain. And then they grow these opium uh, plants out there and then they harvest them and the drug warlords come in and they get the, the raw opium from them and they convert it into to heroin. Well, they found out there there's one other cash crop going on. 
since there's no possibility for those hill tribe girls to ever make anything good in life, they're going to die early. I mean, all they eat is bugs and snakes and everything else. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. Hand on the Bible here. In my entire existence as a missionary of 38 years, I've seen one living thing up there in the Hill Tribe region. They eat everything. I used to worry about giant pythons and cobras because we got them, honey. You know, all kinds of other wild beasts and things like that. And I just thought, man, I may never get back home sometimes when I go up there and Deb's got the kids back in Bangkok. And the truth of the matter is, I thought I'm taking my life in my hands almost every time I go out there. So I asked him, I said, hey, what do you do, you know, if you see something like a big old python or a big king cobra who will come after you? And and I I said, give me some advice. They said, "Okay." I said, what is it? They go, we eat them, you know, and they weren't kidding. There's nothing up there, all right? So to subsist, they try to sell the opium poppies and they trade their daughters for money. I couldn't take that. Sorry, this is close to me. I said, we have to do something. We had already been reaching these tribal people with the gospel. They were getting saved. In fact, in that particular village, the village headman got saved. Following him, the village witch doctor got saved. That paved the way for anybody else in the village who wanted to be saved, but would have been scared to admit they wanted to be saved to do it because you, you got to follow the headman. He's got to make his move and then the witch doctor and then maybe it's a possibility for you. We got that entire village saved. Uh, we decided to build our first church there. There wasn't any money for all the projects that we had in mind or envisioned. And so we did what we could. We built a a little edifice there. It was actually a pretty respectable looking little church building. And because Deb and I kind of pioneered the whole thing, they said, we want you to be the one who preaches the dedication for that building. So I'm there that particular day and I'm preaching the dedication. And after I got finished the sermon, I decided, okay, I'm about to close. And then it just kind of hit me back to that something. Something said to me, you need to give an invitation to be saved. So I made the invitation. A little 13-year-old girl came down the aisle of the church and gave her life to Jesus. Her story was her dad was a ruthless man in the drug trade. The mother was caught during the drug trade. He fled and she took the brunt of it, went to jail for the rest of her life. She's a little 13-year-old girl. How's she gonna survive? She's been put out on the street to make her living through prostitution and try to survive. I can tell you, those kids are forced into carnal relations 12 to 15 times a day. No protection. The AIDS demographic for death among them is above 81%. It's a death sentence. When you get AIDS in that prostitution and human trafficking zone, they don't want you anymore. They throw you on the trash heap of life. That's the path she was headed on. But she walked that pathway and found Jesus Christ. She was among the first girls that we brought into a children's home, an orphanage that we started 27 years ago. You know where she is today? We put her through school. She graduated. She felt a call to ministry. She's got a license. She's a recognized minister in the Thailand Assemblies of God. She's pastoring a blowing and going church in Northern Thailand and nine other church plants attached to her ministry going on right there. You see, 
that's what God can do when you trust him. Why do we preach? Because it transforms lives, because it changes the devil's plans. I mean, in a country that's 95% Buddhist, 4% Islamic, less than 1.5%, what do you think? Is that likely to happen? Not so, but it'll happen every single time that you put your money on Jesus and you trust in him. I know that, that we're short on time, so forgive me, I'm gonna close, but I wanna tell you, my friends, the greatest investment you'll ever make in your life is invest in the souls of men. That children's home that Deb and I started, I mean, we took the money out of our own personal pocket because there was no missions money to make it go. It's the greatest investment we've ever made in our entire life. If I were a pauper today and couldn't even afford pants to go with this shirt, it still would have been the best thing that we ever did in our entire life. So I want you to think about it today. What can we do? You know, if you understood the demographics, my friends, you know, there, this world has 7.8 billion people is what I'm told. 30% will never see a Bible before they die. There are 30% that will never ever be in the presence of a church anywhere near them that could influence their lives. And 30% will pass from this life without ever having had a witness of who Jesus Christ really is. We gotta do something about that. Father, thank you for the patience of these dear people. My prayer is simple today, Lord. I pray that you'll put an agony in our soul, put a fire in our belly, put a, put a, put a, put a urge in our heart to do something before it's too late. Help us, oh Lord, to reach out and so, find some way to make a desperate investment in the kingdom of God that result in souls being brought into the kingdom before it's too late. We thank you now, Lord, for the patience of these dear hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.